Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We have a special show for you this week. Our guest for the hour is Manit Chawan. Manit is many things. A James Beard award-winning chef, a restaurateur, a judge on Food Network's Chopped, and a cookbook author. Her latest book is Chat, Recipes from the Kitchens, Markets, and Railways of India. Later in the hour, Manit will describe a few favorite recipes from the book. One is what Manit calls a Kashmiri version of spaghetti and meatballs. In Manit's version, the meatballs are spiced lamb, the pasta is cumin-spiked rice, and the sauce, a fiery red chili sauce. And there's an Indian-inspired gin and tonic that I would personally like to know how to make. But first, we asked Manit to talk about the inspiration for the book and to define chat for us. Chat to me is an emotion. Chat translated from Hindi means to lick. And in India, street foods, uh, a lot of street foods are called chats. So chats are usually a combination of the seasonal ingredients that you're getting, which are tossed up with different spices and chutneys and flavors and textures. Uh, and it is just, um, you know, when you take a bite, it, it's a party in your mouth. And that to me, what a chart is. So chart is beyond, like anybody who grew up in India, uh, and I talk to them about chart, it, it pulls on their nostalgic, you know, heartstrings because that's what it's all about. It's an emotion. Chart is an emotion. Wow, I love that. You, you talked about some of the spices and things like that. What are some of the spices that, you know, are kind of the staple items, you know, when it comes to these recipes? You know, um, my God, uh, spices can be like, you can go on and on. But when I'm making charts, to me, roasted cumin powder, but it has to be roasted. It can't be regular cumin. You take cumin seeds, you roast it, and then you powder it. It's a completely different flavor profile. Red chili powder. Chaat masala. Chaat masala is a blend of spices with predominantly dried raw mango powder in it. So it has that tart, uh, tart flavor to it. Um, and yeah, that that would be you know if I had to choose three spices, those would be the three spices uh, which I would use to make a perfect chaat. Mango powder, huh? Yeah. I mean, I've obviously heard of you know powdered fruits, but never thought of it being in you know a seasoning like that that's pretty awesome do you make that or is it something you can buy somewhere or you can buy uh chaat masala at any indian store you can actually even get it online i've seen it on amazon uh but um you know mango powder is called amchur which means powder of mango uh, and that also is available pretty much on in any indian store or online huh. and it's amazing it's so addictive like i have re- replaced all my vinaigrettes with chaat masala. I love it. I'm actually literally buying it right now on Amazon, as you just told me. I, I, I really am. <laughs> <laughs> Manit, talk to us about, you know, growing up in India, and you would go visit your different relatives, and you would take the train. That was the popular way to get from point A to point B. But it also had a huge influence on how you had this calling to be a chef and to work in food. And I wonder if you could explain for us what that means and how you came to really appreciate food through, of all things, the railroad. You know, growing up in India, we we used to live in eastern India. That's where my parents were working. And my, um, you know, maternal grandparents were in southern India and my paternal grandparents in northern India. 
So every summer vacation used to be going to the to south, and uh, every winter used to be going to north. Right, um, and I used to really look forward to these journeys because those days the connectivity of flights they weren't very high, and also they were obnoxiously expensive. So train train in India is like you know what the everyday man travels by. So we would take these trains, but these trains are unlike the trains over here, right? Like the windows are open, the doors are open. Uh, it used to be three days, three night journey. And on, and it would stop at each and every small train station. And at each and every small train station, there would be the local vendors who would come to sell their local wares, right? And to me, that was so fascinating because India is such a vast country and each and every region has a very distinct cuisine of its own, right? So I would get to taste the variety of foods of India through the train stations over these three days. So they would be like, I would be looking forward to, oh, we go to Chennai, I'm going to have curd rice over there or lemon rice over there, right? And that to me became a big adventure because I would look forward to each and every train stop based on what I was going to eat over there. And my poor parents, like I, they, I, I remember there used to be this one obscure small station which the train would stop for less than a minute and I would make my dad go and buy these onion stuffed samosas, right? And there have been times that the train has started moving and he has run and he's like caught the train while the train is moving. And, <laughs> and it used to be um, just amazing. So, uh, so that is, uh, you know, I would like, and it has, it left such a profound impact on me because it made me appreciate the, the vastness of Indian cuisine. Right. Like the fact that you can be, you know, in two hours, you can be probably tasting the same dish, but tasting completely different. And that is why I literally I'm like, you know, uh, I started appreciating the ingredients, the local ingredients. And I also started appreciating the craftsmen, uh, craftsmanship that goes into these, uh, I would call them chefs making these these dishes. Right now, all I'm envisioning is your father running to yeah. give you the onion and then running back and <laughs> the train pulling away and he's throwing the food at you on the, while the train is pulling out. What we do for our children, money? He's grabbing all with one hand and running. I swear to God. <laughs> I, I, I swear at that moment, I'm sure he wanted to throw it at me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's, it's dad of the year right there. Super dad. Did your dad have a cape on too while he was doing this? Listen, he's always had a cape on uh, forever. So yes, he still has a cape on for me. <laughs> That's I amazing. You know, it's funny how you talk about how you can get kind of the same dish, but in a different region and it tastes completely different, but it's still the same dish. Um, you know, I think we have some spots like that, even, you know, here in our country, when you look at just how things have changed with, you look at a clam chowder and how it's different in, you know, New England versus Manhattan and things like that. You know, it, yeah. it's amazing how it's, uh, it can change, even though it's the same thing. So true. Tell me a little bit about, um, Manit, what you think of Americans' perception of Indian food is. Because I can tell you, I'm 46. I did not really come to understand Indian food until well into my 30s. Um, and I grew up in New York City, and there was plenty of Indian food. Um, but I really, I didn't truly understand it until I had naan. And I remember bringing it home, and my mother was like, Ay, mija, eso es empanada. 
you know, in, in Puerto Rico, that's like, you know, it's an empanada. And so what do you think the perception is of Indian food in this country and, and how how are you changing it? I came to this country in 1998 to go to the CIA. I was the only Indian on campus for the better part of uh, my stay over there. And I remember uh, the first, like, you know, like I'm talking about how excited am I am about Indian food. Mind it. At that time, I was... I was a baking and pastry student because the last thing I wanted to do was talk about Indian food because that was so pedestrian, right? Uh, the folly of youth. <laughs> and um, what I did was I found the one Indian restaurant, um, you know, which was on the way to um, to Hyde Park. And I'm like, I took, I took all my friends. I'm like, let's go and eat Indian food. And I go over there and my friends are like, they're, they're, taking bites and they're looking at me and very politely smiling. They're like, mm-hmm, this is nice. And I take a first bite. I'm like, no, this isn't nice. This is crap. Like this <laughs> isn't like what Indian food is all about. Right. And over the years, what I have done is I figured out, I mean, or I've kind of figured out why this is so this was the same thing with Chinese food, right? Like a lot of immigrants, when they came over here, the one skill that they had was cooking. And that's how, you know, that's what they set up. So there was never passion behind the food. There was never the pride behind the food that was being served. So what I am seeing over the years is me or, you know, uh, other uh, contemporary chefs, Indian chefs that I have along with me, they are proud of the cuisine, the food that they've grown up with. And they are very determined. And I mean, like, very determined to show people the beauty of Indian food, which like, to me, that was one of the biggest things I wanted to do. Because I grew up on, um, like, my friends would take me to farmer's market. I'm like, okay, what is so great about it? Because farmer's markets were the only markets that I grew up with, right? Like dad and I on his two-wheeler we would go on Sundays to just buy the vegetables for the week we had relationships with all the vendors the onion vendors the same jokes we would repeat every Sunday with the same (laughs) vendor seasonal cooking carrots were were available only in winters and red carrots one week in the entire year and we would look forward to it we would relish it and the dish that mom would make we would just like you know freeze it the gajar halwa we would freeze it for as long as possible but that's what it was so I started realizing that a lot of people, because they didn't have a great grasp on the uses of spices or how, or even bothered to learn it, um, they would just bury a dish with lots of spices with too much sauce and too much oil. And that's what people started perceiving Indian food as. Eight ninety five, all you can eat buffet. And once you eat it, you want to go to sleep and not eat for the next two days. Right. So that, that was, that's what the what chaat is. It's an antithesis of that because this is fresh, it's seasonal, it's tossed in front of you, it's fast, and it's so much fun. So yeah, that that to me, I think, in a nutshell, is uh, what what people's perception of Indian food is was, and it's changing now. I don't think you're wrong yeah. either. Definitely not. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish I was. <laughs> but you're trying to change that because, right? I think you ask someone, "Oh, name an Indian food." The first thing they're going to say is. Vindaloo yeah. or curry. Yeah. Oh, curry. Don't even get me started on curry. Don't get me started on curry. We'll be here for the next couple of hours. Oh, let me get you started. I want to hear you get all riled up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that you do so well, Manit, whenever I watch you, whether it's 
on television, one of the 50,000 things you're doing on TV, if I watch you even just cooking food with your family on Instagram or on social media, you really try to make it easier for the home cook, for someone to, you know, who isn't a, a chef or, or, you know, is a little bit more nervous about getting in the kitchen, especially when it comes to using some ingredients they're not super familiar with. But you really try to make that simple for them. And I think you do a really good job of that. Thank you. To me, that is very important. It actually is really funny that got me into really, you know, uh, into trouble uh, because I, um, you know, I did a recipe on Food Network um, and it was how to make a simple chicken tikka masala. Because to me, one of the biggest things is that people get very, you know, very intimidated when they think of Indian food. And a chicken tikka masala is an involved recipe and it involves a lot of ingredients, especially when I'm making it at the restaurant. So I came up with a really simple recipe of just a handful of ingredients. And I'm like, you know, instead of cooking tomato, we use marinara sauce. And it just was, it's delicious and amazing. And Food Network, they posted it on Instagram. And um, my, my Indian um, friends went crazy. Yeah, they, they killed you for it. They're like, what is this? <laughs> marinara sauce, are you crazy? <laughs> this is not authentic. I'm like, I never saying it's authentic yeah I'm like I'm not saying it's authentic what I am trying to do is I'm trying to make Indian food accessible to everyday American and if you're not appreciating that then I, I feel sad for you but that was it I mean and there were so many people who reached out they're like thank you you just changed our life this is the best thing ever this is you know this has become our weekly dish to have so um so, so that's what it is. To me, it is very important to make Indian food accessible. And be it just people getting familiar with one spice or one technique. Indian food is so delicious. And I think that the world we live in now is, uh, you know, because chefs and food are kind of becoming more, it's not the same old thing anymore. You know, you, you know, people can come out and do Southern food here in the Northeast or do California food in Texas or, you know, make great Indian food or make great Chinese food, you know, and you can even do it at home. But if I was going to do it at home and I had to have a pantry of items, Manit, you know, to get started, what do you think I should have? So, uh, you know, I have a masala dabba, which is a spice uh, tin, uh, which is round in shape and it's got seven different containers. To me, I think if everybody has, you know, those seven spices, you're good to go, right? Uh, I, um, I say a good garam masala, uh, turmeric, uh, red chili powder, chaat masala, uh, coriander powder, and fenugreek leaves. If you have this, you can make any dish. And then, of course, the last one I leave for salt uh, because salt is required in each and every dish. So, so if you have these, you can make any dish. Marisol, I just bought the chat masala too. So I have that now in my pantry. Excellent. I, just, I have it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to mess with that. <laughs> awesome. That was Manit Chahan. Manit is probably best known as the nicest judge on Food Network's Chopped. She's also a restaurateur in Nashville and the author of the cookbook, Chat. After a short break, we'll continue our conversation with Manit. I'll ask her what it's like coming up as a woman chef of color in an industry dominated by men. And we'll get into some recipes from the cookbook. You're listening to Seasoned. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Marisol Castro. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Lucky us, we're spending this hour with James Beard award-winning chef, chop judge, cookbook author, and my friend, Manit Chauhan. When we read off the list of all the cool jobs Manit has, I mean, there are five restaurants and breweries, she writes, and she's a bona fide celebrity chef. You might think, charmed life. Overnight success, right? But Manit has worked exceedingly hard for her success as an immigrant navigating the Culinary Institute of America, and as a young woman in professional kitchens, there were many challenges. Manit, um, as I look at the landscape of the culinary world, I'm constantly questioning why are there not more women? Why are there not more women of color? And I wonder for you what challenges you faced as an Indian woman in this country um, going to CIA saying, I'm going to do pastries and bake. Oh, wait, maybe I'm not. I'm going to do Indian food. <laughs> what were the mental gyrations that you went through staying true to your identity, being in this country, and figuring out who you are and how you were going to do both of those things by being a chef? I'll be completely lying if I say that uh, it was an easy journey because it wasn't. It was a very difficult journey, right from adjusting to uh, a life in um, America. And and mind you, like I graduated, I did my bachelor's in India from what I thought was the coolest school in the entire world, right? When I came to CIA, I was like, I am the coolest person on this planet <laughs> till the time. And I apparently know everything about America because I uh, have seen Coming to America and I have seen, uh, you know, and I have read Archie comics all my life. Perfect. That's all you need. Uh, little did I know that I had. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, actually, you don't. <laughs> Little did I know that uh, th that was definitely not the case, right? It, it was really interesting because initially when I came, even vending machines, how to use vending machines, because I came in 98, like vending machines at that time weren't in India. Money, right? Like my sister, she was here, she was, she was doing her master's. So she helped me. She's like, every time we would drive, she's like, okay, show me a penny. I would show her a penny. Show me a nickel. Show me a quarter, right? Like those are things that you take... Um, for granted instinctively when you grow up over here. But those are things that you have to adjust to, right? Slangs. Uh, the first thing my sister told me was all the slangs not to use, which are not acceptable over here. So, so there was a lot of adjusting. But I think to me, the toughest, the, the toughest part was, um, and it still is, for, for people who grow up in a country, there is a history of, uh, a, a history of humor that you grow up ah. with, right? I remember my toughest time used to be uh, like my, all my classmates used to be walking, uh, talking about SNL and I had no idea what they were finding so funny, right? And now I'm like, oh, this is so funny. So I have friends who come from there. They're like, I don't know what you're laughing about. It's that pop culture, which was the toughest for me to uh, adjust to. But then th there was this other part of me, which was like, to me, there was no other option. I knew that my parents had put in so much faith uh, to let me pursue my dreams. So I owed it to them to succeed. So I think that has been one thing which has pushed me and keeps on pushing me every day. You know, they made sacrifices. So I have to live up to those sacrifices. So it was absolutely it was very difficult. I, I graduated on top of my class. I got all the awards for my class. I had the highest GPA. I started applying for jobs. And because whoever would hire me had to sponsor my paperwork. I got jobs from some of the best places. And as soon as I spoke to them about sponsorship of paperwork, I was dropped like a hot potato. 
So wow. that was one of the very difficult, because in this industry, there are not many people who sponsor, which was fantastic in hindsight, because then my uncle and aunt were opening an Indian uh, restaurant close to Philadelphia in uh, Cherry Hill. They were like, if you want uh, to just take over this place, so which was fantastic at the age of like uh, 23, 24, I was managing a restaurant of 70 people. And the most interesting part was managing a kitchen of around five Indian chefs, all of them men. And I think they, because I had to be very, very um, immune to everything that they were saying, I think that they really made me realize how I could have my own standing in a kitchen. And then after that, I just kept on, you know, looking for jobs and just working hard. And that hasn't changed. So it's, it's not been easy, but I just kept on putting one foot in front of the other and never for a moment thought of stopping. Kitchen can be a very tough place to come up in, that's for sure. Oh, yes. Years ago, it was a very different place than it is now. It's probably more of a, Marisol, I've always said it has more of a locker room mentality, especially back in the 90s. Oh, and, yeah. You know, growing up and coming up in it, it can be very, very tough. I would imagine so. Very, very tough. Very. We were just speaking about your first foray into an American city after having graduated from CIA, manning the ship, pun totally intended, of a bunch of dudes in the kitchen with your uncle. What happened next? Because clearly there was a meteoric jump at some point. Uh, no, actually it wasn't. It was a very steady growth. <laughs> I wish it was like it happened overnight. You're being modest. Uh, I know um, you're being modest. So, uh, <laughs> I think after around four years, uh, I decided my sister, uh, she was working in Chicago. So I had this small Mazda Miata. I hopped in it and I'm like, okay, uh, let me go ahead and see what, what is available out in the world. So packed up everything, drove over to Chicago over there, just started visiting restaurants, um, like, you know, which I had read about and just asking chefs if I could stage with them. And at that time, there was a Indian uh, and Asian fusion restaurant called Monsoon, which had opened up. I just went and said that, hey, I would like to stage. And I started staging and then somebody reached out to the chef over there. They were looking for a chef for their restaurant and he mentioned it to me. Do you know anybody? So I looked at him. I'm like, anybody? What about me? And he was like, if you can, why not? And that kind of literally lit a fire <laughs> under me. I'm like, really? You think I can't? So, uh, so that was it. That's I great. applied. Yeah, I, I, you know, it was a Latin. Uh, the owners had the idea of a Latin and an Indian. Um, worked in Chicago for a couple of years. They opened a place in New York. And I moved to New York then. During that time, you know, you start doing all of this PR as a chef. You In the, the morning shows, you go and do a demo. So um, our PR company got me on um, Iron Chef. And that is when I was a CIA. That, that was something that I always wanted to do. So I went on Iron Chef. I competed against Chef Morimoto. And I came a very respectable second among two people. It sounds so much better than saying I lost. Uh, and like uh, it was um, it, it, it was in- <laughs> it was incredible because uh, from there they invited me to be on the next season of the next Iron Chef during that they invited me to be a guest judge on Chopped uh, I was a guest judge the first season and then the next season onwards they told me that, you know that they were going to have me as a permanent judge on Chopped and that's been 12 years. 
I think I read you've done a hundred episodes. Is that right? Is it over a hundred episodes on Chop now for you? It would be. It would at at least be a hundred, if not more. My favorite part is when you tell them their food stinks, but you're nice about it. I love that. It makes me so happy because I know you and I know that it's you're the nicest person. Like you don't want to do that, but you got to be honest with them. That to me is the toughest thing because the thing is that you know I have competed in that kitchen. It's not easy. Actually, none of these competitions are easy. So if you're nice to me, I'll be absolutely amazing and nice to you. If not, then I will not. <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> and 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 that has happened. Like there has been somebody who's been like you know completely like very um, cocky, and I'm like no. really, and you're like okay, I will tell you. <laughs> so it's been interesting. I'll show you. I mean, I didn't you know, I, I didn't get to this life just being nice. Right. So it's been fun. Well, you judge in these shows. You've judged so many of them too. I have to ask you: You've competed as well in like the chopped after hours competitions or the big uh, bracketed competition that just happened a few months ago before COVID hit. Do you still feel it? Like, can you still get in there and get fired up? Because you guys, I've seen Manit in the kitchen, and she's first in, last out, fired up, ready to rock and roll, no matter what she's making, whether it's a grilled cheese or an amazing hot cuisine dish. I promise you. So I got to ask: When you're doing these other competitions, can you still get fired up about it? Oh my God! Do I get fired about it? I'm a menace. Like everybody is like warrior. I'm like yes, and then I like, slow down. I'm like, what? You're giving me thirty minutes. How can you expect me to slow down? So yeah, it's been um, it's been an interesting experience to say the least. You're still absolutely killing it and doing amazing things out there. And I love how you talk about food as a language and inspiring young cooks and everyone all across the country, the world who watch you, whether it's on Food Network or on social media. And the book itself is incredibly inspiring when you look at how beautiful it is and some of the fantastic recipes in here. You know, I think some of the recipes that you gave us for this book, there's actually a version of a spaghetti and meatballs. Uh, meatballs uh, and rice. Rista. You can replace the, the rice with spaghetti and then it'll be spaghetti and meatballs. When you do a meatball like that, though, your version of it, what are some of the spices and flavorings that you would put in there that would be different? You know, uh, the uh, the rista is from uh, Kashmir, which is from northern uh, India. And it is, you know, traditionally when they would make it, they would take the goat and have a mallet and keep on hitting it till it became minced meat, right? So it's got a very silky texture to it. So the flavorings in the rista, in the meatball are very simple. It's just like serrano chili, ginger garlic paste, cilantro, salt, a little bit of white onions, and that's pretty much it. It's the sauce, which has like cumin, cardamom, black cardamom, green cardamom, nutmeg, peppercorn, chili powder, cilantro, turmeric. And it's that sauce in which when you braise the meatball, the rita, that's what just adds this incredible flavor to the dish. Yeah, that sounds delicious, doesn't it, Marisol? I know what I'm making for dinner tonight. <laughs> Monique, I, I catch us, those culinary terms come out, you know, and sometimes I think we need to let people know what those mean. The word braising, can you describe that for people? What does the word braising mean? So a braising is basically cooking in a liquid at a very low temperature. So you're not boiling something in a liquid. You are just, it's simmering. So you can go ahead and usually when you braise, you always make sure that the dish is completely covered. So the meat or vegetables or whatever you're braising, not only get cooked 
through the uh, you know by being by the virtue of being in the liquid but also it has that being baked effect yeah low and slow is the way to go that's what i always say totally so how are you manit going to change the perception of indian food one shot at a time other than this cookbook of course you know what it's constant conversations it's constantly see i realize that i can only do so much but even if i change one or two people's perception it's a big impact to me the fact that you know i have opened restaurants in nashville which really did not have any good quality indian restaurants before we opened up and the fact that chohan elen masala house is one of the most popular restaurants in the city and continues to be like you know even in the 6th year of operation to me that shows that people are slowly one at a time changing their perception of indian food so i think that's what i am doing and be it like you know social media putting these igtvs out talking about different spices and just having fun while i'm at it so that people don't get um, intimidated by indian food that's what i'm doing and that's all that i can do we're speaking with manit chahan She is the author of the gorgeous new cookbook, Chat. When we come back from the break, we'll continue our conversation with Mani, and we'll get into more recipes from the book, including her riff on a gin and tonic and a comforting chicken noodle soup with roots in Tibet. But right now, seasoned producers Robin Doyan Aiken and Katie Talarski will let you know how you can support seasoned and all the local programs you hear on Connecticut Public Radio. This is Katie Tolerski here with Robin Doyan Aiken and we are so excited to be here asking for your support of Connecticut Public Radio of our new show. We call it our new show because we feel very uh, a lot of ownership over it. We've been working on it for months and months and months called Seasoned, a great new food show on Connecticut Public Radio. If you're enjoying this show, if you're enjoying this programming, the station, call us right now 1-800-584-2788. 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call to support all of the programming here on Connecticut Public Radio during this October membership campaign. Robin, how are you today? I'm great. I feel wonderful and I'm really, really excited. You have a new a new thank you item to talk about too. Every time we have a new pledge gift to introduce, I get very excited and I'm particularly excited about debuting this new pledge gift because it's designed to thank food lovers specifically. For supporting us. If you're listening to Seasoned right now, you are a food lover and you can't have too much cooking inspiration because many of us are home right now spending a lot more time cooking. The New York Times Cooking Digital Cookbook, or really it, it's a platform because it's much more than a cookbook, combines the trusted information you expect from a news outlet like the Times and the food writers, recipes, and how-to information from some of the best cooks, cookbook authors, and chefs in the country. For your generous gift of $15 a month or a one-time gift of $180, you'll have access to the most trusted cooking advice from the New York Times food writers like Sam Sifton and Melissa Clark. I mention them because I just I really love them. So food lovers, I urge you to call right now 1-800-584-2788. Or if you're on ctpublic.org seasoned, looking for the recipes featured in today's show, click the red donate button at the top of your webpage 
and select the New York Times cooking gift. You will be unlocking a treasure trove of recipes and information from the New York Times food writers and contributors. And again, the number to call is 1-800-584-2788 or go online to wnpr.org. Melissa Clark has been a great guest on Seasoned. The thing I love about Chef Plum and Marisol is their... You know, they've been friends for a long time. Their chemistry is great. They have a real connection to the Connecticut food world, but also to some of these big chefs, these big name chefs like Manit Shahan, who we're talking to today. And they just have this, again, this rapport with these great chefs that we've seen on TV, we've heard about, uh, we've read their cookbooks, and now we can sort of hear more about their personal stories and more about their favorite recipes. And that to me is really exciting. And, And I have to say, Robin, I'm not a big foodie kind of, I love eating food, but I, I'm not the big cook. I can follow a recipe. So this has been a, a, a journey for me to work with you who really, you know, I, I would consider you a great foodie and, and our, our hosts to, you know, to learn a lot about the food world and, and just explore what's happening in Connecticut, especially um, right now around a pandemic, like how are restaurants surviving? And we've covered that, you know, just trying to hear about innovative ways that restaurants are making things work. So call us to support Seasoned, call us to support Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, So important that you do that now. Take advantage of this great thank you gift, 1-800-584-2788. That's 1-800-584-2788 or WNPR.org. You know, Katie, you claim not to be a foodie, but you have recommended some great places to me all across the state, especially in Hartford and West Hartford. You need to give yourself a little more credit for being like, maybe you're foodie adjacent. If you're a person who lights up when you see Sam Sifton's name in your inbox because you get the New York Times cooking e-letter each week, you can start lighting up every day when you click through the recipes in New York Times cooking. You might be thinking, Robin, I already get the Times. Isn't cooking part of that? Well, it's actually not. New York Times cooking is a separate subscription because like all great content, Like everything you hear on Connecticut Public Radio, New York Times cooking content costs money. It is a premium product. It is premium content. And many um, New York Times recipes are behind a paywall. We've all hit the paywall. Uh Lift that paywall for yourself right now by calling 1-800-584-2788 and telling the nice person on the other end of the line that you want access to New York Times cooking. Call us now, 1-800-584-2788, 1-800-584-2788, and thanks so much. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We've been having the best time catching up with Manit Chohan. Earlier, we talked about a dish called Rista. That's spicy lamb meatballs in a flavorful sauce. You can find that recipe on our site, ctpublic.org seasoned. There's an omelet and a Tibetan-inspired chicken noodle soup coming up in a minute. But first... Drinks, anyone? Uh, always. I mean, <laughs> drinks are a very important part of, <laughs> of uh, existence. You have an Indian-inspired gin and tonic. What is yes. going on exactly with that? Uh, you'll have to make it to try it and see how incredible that is. I mean, it's a tamarind gin and tonic. Because uh, when you think of a gin and tonic, just a dash of lime, I think, makes it so much more amazing. And all I've done is I have added a little bit of tamarind paste, you know, some grated orange zest, honey, 
ice and it's delicious. And healthy, it sounds like. I immediately equate tamarind with health. Yeah. So <laughs> Where are you getting that it's, from? It's good for me, too. <laughs> I immediately relate gin to healthy. <laughs> you right? guys are crazy. <laughs> it's alcohol. It kills all the bacteria, right? That's what it is, right? That's, that's what I say about bourbon. <laughs> As I'm telling you. That's hysterical. Uh, so, Mini, you guys are also brewing beer down there, right? Yes. So we have a brewery in Murfreesboro, which is south of Nashville. It's on 83 acres of land, and we have three breweries under uh, that umbrella. It is called Hop Springs, so it's beautiful. The brewery overlooks these rolling hills. It's just gorgeous. They are rocking chairs, and uh, we have uh, Mantra, which is our craft beer um, arm. Then we have Steel Barrel, which is the everyday drinking beer. And then we have the Humulus Project, which is an IPA-based line. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. Restaurants, cookbooks, food network stuff, raising children. I mean, do you remember to breathe during the day, Manit? And she does it all. I, I, can, I can do it because I have just an incredible support system surrounding me. Right from Vivek, my husband, who who's a partner in all of these and to my entire team over here right i mean it's it's them who um who let me do what i can and and support me so i wouldn't be able to do any of this without them you know one of the other great recipes to take it back to food of course that's what i have (laughs) to do i mean i didn't get this adonis like figure by you know not talking about food looking at food and talking about food and coming back to it here in the book uh chat you have a really approachable omelet in yes. there that we have a recipe for that's going to be up on the website, right? Yes. It is called the Ross omelet. Ross means gravy and omelet is omelet. But in India, like uh, a, a masala <laughs> omelet is something that we literally like every morning, my dad and I, we would make one masala omelet and cut it in half. And that used to be our breakfast. Wow. So Ross omelet is from Goa, which is a Western coastal town in India. And uh, the amazing part about Goa is that it has a Portuguese influence to it. So the food is Portuguese inspired. And I went to school south of Goa. So we used to go to Goa very often. And this was one of my favorite things because not only was it a masala omelet, but they would put the masala omelet in a gravy. Like, I mean, forget biscuit and gravy, omelet and gravy. That is the thing to eat. Really? It is so good and you can have it with rice you can have it by itself it is amazing and delicious i just don't know if i can get away with 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 saying the hell with with biscuits and gravy that like hurts my soul a little bit (laughs) try it try it or just have it along with it okay that i can do biscuit and gravy along with raw omelet and i'm telling you it's the perfect breakfast ever Throw some pieces of bacon on it, and yeah. What's in the gravy? So the gravy is an onion and a coconut oil-based gravy, which has tomato. So really very simple sauce, at least simple <laughs> simple in my, in my terms, um, which is just sautéed onions with tomatoes, ginger garlic paste, turmeric, red chili powder, um, coconut paste, um, garam masala, and that's it. Some salt and... You are good to go. I mean, and like I said, these things are so approachable. It's it's not hard to make. Not at all. I think once people get over the the fear in their mind of Indian food, then I there is you know, and and what I love about this book is that there are some recipes which are very simple. There are four or five ingredients, but for people who really want to go ahead and experiment it further, they are more complicated and more involved recipes. And I think that's what makes it so fun. 
Can you talk to us about your, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Tupka, chicken noodle soup? Tupka? So uh, the Food Network magazine actually just covered Tupka this, this month. And basically what it is, is a ramen. Uh, I'm like, I'm not even kidding you. So, so the Tupka is, it originated from Tibet. It's a soup with noodles in it, right? And in northeastern India, that has a big, you know, it, it has Chinese population. It has a lot of people from Nepal, Tibet and stuff who have uh, immigrated uh, to that part of India and they live over there. So Tupka is literally, it is the chicken noodle soup right which has indian spices like um cumin seeds and it's got chili and ginger and it's just so incredible and wholesome for winter especially now um that it and i remember the first time that i ever had it it was in gohati which is um northeastern india and the first time i took a bite of this i'm like my god and this is before i'd even ever had ramen wow. because uh, ramen the first time i had was when i moved over here so it was like i'm like oh my god what is this genius uh, creation i love this <laughs> that's fantastic listen one of the things too i should let everyone know every year at the mohegan sun food and wine manit's there and you got to go if you haven't been and you can go talk to her and see her and she's literally the sweetest person you'll ever meet and talk Aww. to and she'll talk to everybody trust me i'm talking to everybody manit so if you're taking a train ride you're boarding amtrak you're going from nashville to canada or nashville to boise i don't know uh where are you stopping and what are you eating I, I don't think there is Amtrak which goes from Nashville. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I have taken... I have. All right, just work with me, lady. Just work with me. I love chefs. You're hopping a train. You're in the lower 48. Where uh, are you going to stop? It's your imaginary train. It's like the magic school bus. I would stop in New Orleans. Ooh. Or I would stop in Charleston. Oh, so good. Or somewhere along in uh, the low country. The, the food over there is so incredible and I'm just like the more I am now in Nashville and I get opportunities to travel over there like I just found out about uh, gala cuisine which I I didn't know about and I've just fallen in love with you know the crab fried rice etc so that's that's where I would it would be completely out of the way but (laughs) but but that's where I will stop it's great food fantastic food I love all those foods Uh. This is the problem. So Whenever we talk food, you're right, Marisol. Like now, I'm going to go make an omelet. I'm going to make chicken soup. I'm going to go make crab fried rice. <laughs> I'm going to make a tamarind gin and tonic. <laughs> Love it. So, Manit, honestly, you know, uh, the last thing I want to ask you about, and I feel like I always bring this up to you, but it's like, it's to me, it's that goal that is unreachable, that as a chef, I don't know how it happens, uh, but it happened to you. You were in a made-for-Hallmark Channel movie. Uh, <laughs> it is the sweetest thing ever. I, this, here you are, this amazing chef who can throw down with anybody and make amazing food. You're the sweetest human being ever. Next thing I know, you're on a Hallmark movie. Uh, you got to talk about it for a second because it's so great. Uh, that's that's one of the classic. Manit says yes without knowing what she said yes to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it was, it was just it was absolutely incredible. I was like competing for the tournaments of champions when we got when I got this email that hey, there's a show. Would you like to looking for a host? And I'm like, I got, got in touch with my agent. I'm like, make this happen. And she calls me right after, you know, a couple of hours and she says, uh, Manit, this is a scripted show. I'm like, everything is scripted in this world. So right. get it. She's like, you're sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. So she sends the contract and the script and I'm like, holy beep. Like, what did I say yes to? 
so it was it was incredible it was a great experience very different from what reality television is learning scripts was very difficult for me because i am very off the cuff but uh, in the end of the day it's like i promised myself that every year i do one thing which is completely out of my you know realm of comfort i did a local version of dancing with the stars oh yeah uh, or i did oh yeah which was so embarrassing but i still won or this movie or ted talks like every year i do something which makes me feel so the gut of my stomach like it's tied in knots i am so nervous and i keep on telling myself i am this 43 year old woman i shouldn't be feeling this nervous and i still feel it and that pushes me to to perform even better and i keep on i keep on saying yes to things that i probably shouldn't be saying yes to but i always have fun uh getting into trouble so that's what it's all about like when your chef buddies text you and say hey do you want to come on our radio show <laughs> you're like yeah of yes. course <laughs> Of course. Uh, the movie's called Why are you a... even asking? Of course. <laughs> I should just I said Booker. She's in. She's in. Uh the movie's called The Secret Ingredient. It was on Hallmark Channel. It's fantastic. It's 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 really really fun to see Manit in that role and you, you actually did a fantastic job at it. It's Thank very you. safe and wholesome and fun to watch. So, congratulations on that. I thought I, like I said, I every time we talk I bring this up. So, I just think it's amazing. <laughs> I know I know when my leg is being pulled. It's fine. I can live with it. <laughs> I was a theater major in college my first time around. I love acting. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Which means I worked in restaurants, but that's okay. I digress. <laughs> restaurants are drama. That's what it's all about. Well, Manit, the book is gorgeous. It's beautiful. I, I love these recipes. Oh, thank you. I've just ordered a copy here off Amazon along with my chat masala so I can have both of these things in hand in the kitchen because I can't wait to uh, uh, make some great dishes and expand my own culinary prowess via this book. Thank you so much, guys. I so appreciate this and I can't wait to see you guys soon. Thank you. You too. Bye. That was the ever-joyful Manit Chauhan. Her new book is Chat, Recipes from the Kitchens, Markets, and Railways of India. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen-Aiken and Katie Talarski. You're going to hear from Robin and Katie right now about how you can support Seasoned and all the great local shows you hear on Connecticut Public Radio. Thanks, guys. This is Robin Doyon Aiken here to tell you about our newest pledge gift. For a short time, we're debuting the New York Times cooking platform for a sustaining gift right now of $15 a month or a one-time gift of $180. Please call 1-800-584-2788 to make that pledge and claim your gift. Uh, maybe you were already planning to donate $200 because you did the numbers and that's what's in your budget. Go ahead. We'll take that support. You can reward yourself with access to hundreds of recipes from the New York Times. 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call. We know you value the news from trusted sources like the Times and Connecticut Public Radio. We also know that you value breaks from the news, fun stuff, topics like where to go apple picking in Connecticut or who makes the best apple cider donuts. You value mom-and-pop restaurants and sharing shout-outs to your local pizza and coffee shops. We value that, too. And it gives us a lot of joy to be able to bring that to you every week. So call 1-800-584-2788 and make your pledge of support and see if that pledge doesn't bring you a little joy, too, knowing that you are about to up your cooking game. 
while supporting the great shows, several of them new ones like Seasoned, by the way, made by the hardworking hosts and producers at Connecticut Public Radio. The number to call is 1-800-584-2788. Robin, this is Katie Tularski. I'm here with Robin Doyen-Aiken. I love that you're talking about joy right now in this world. Yeah. Trying to find those moments of joy is so, so important. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun listening to today's show and also thinking about next week's show, which is about coffee, one of my favorite topics. And I, that top coffee gives me so much joy. So again, if you are a fan of this new show on Connecticut Public Radio, if you love listening to the news and information and entertainment here on Connecticut Public Radio, we are asking you to call now and support this programming. Call now and become a member. Think about becoming a sustaining member. It's so important to us. 1-800-584-2788. That's 1-800-584-2788. Or go online to wnpr.org. And thanks so much. Thank you.